This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 14 and there's a couple of very interesting passages here. One of the passages that is that it, that we're dealing with this morning is it is the it is the passage that deals with it it is a it is the first passage in the Bible that actually deals directly with the idea of war and it is it is a it's got a whole lot of ideas that are presented here and a whole lot of things that that we can see from this ideas and understandings that have really informed our culture and have informed our who we are as as a western society it is it is the reference point of the bible is the reference point in how we actually deal and think about and consider when we go to war and whether or not we're actually doing right by going to war and we've done a good job about that sometimes and sometimes we've been not very good about that we've we've actually what we'd call we've actually broken the just war theory it says you got to remember when we when we go to this when we're dealing with abraham we're dealing with some with somewhere between 17 and 1800 d we're talking about we're talking about 7 or 800 really what we're talking about is 17 or 1800 years before christ and so we're talking about a period of time that's almost 4,000 years ago. And this war here that's, that is going to be described and then Abraham's reaction to it because of Lot is a unique situation. In fact, it's a fairly, the battles and, and those that are involved is fairly detailed here in scripture. So as far as ancient texts go, this is one of the most detailed accounts of a conflict or a war between between nations in a well in a law in in ancient text in ancient scripture it says that it came to pass in the days of Amphrael and I'm gonna do a bad job on reading all these names king of Shinar and then there was the king of Elisar and the king of Elam and the king of this place called nations we don't even know what that is it says they made war so that's four kings they made war against Bera king of Sodom Gomorrah, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and the king of Zebulun, and the king of Bela. So there's five, four kings that are making war against five other kings. Now, the four kings basically come from the area we call Mesopotamia. That is Turkey, that is Syria, Assyria, that is Lebanon. That's that area all up there north of Israel. And they come down and attack five kings that are on the way down to Egypt. And that area, by the way, the area in Israel is also known as the way of the kings. And what, why is it known that? Because it is a choke point in the trade routes from Northern Europe, from Europe, from Europe, and from especially Northern Asia. And we're talking about the areas above India and that it's a choke point through which trade goes into and out of Africa through Egypt. And it's an important area. It's always been an important area. And it's always been an area where the world passed by. 
And God chose it for Abraham. God chose that area because it would be a place where his name and who he is would be would be shared around the world. It's literally the the place where three continents come together. It's the place where all the trade routes of three continents come together, Asia, Europe, and Africa. And, and so understanding that and seeing that, you realize that when you're studying, this is a war to control a trade route. It is a war that's based off of economics. Now they're going to try to take take prizes. They're going to try to take booty is is one of the words used. They're going to try to take take things, go in, and they're going to try to control this area. Those are a lot of people. We want just war to always be about doing right, and it's got to be. But most of the time, wars are not started for a just reason. They're started for a selfish reason. They're started for self-interest. And oftentimes, they're started just to make money, just to become wealthy. And that's what's going on. It says, and all these join together in the Valley of Siddim. And what is that? That is the valley near the Dead Sea. It's the Great Valley south of Jerusalem. It is, it is not the same as it is today because of Sodom and Gomorrah and God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We believe that that, that caused that area to sink even slower and that it became more desert and more arid because of Sodom and Gomorrah. But there were these five kings in the south that were vassals or were served the, the, those kings in the north, and they did that for 12 years. And then the 13th year, they said, we're not doing it anymore. And it says in the 14th year, Chador, Loim, Mayor, the kings, that were in that were with him came and attacked uh and they attacked they attacked the four kings in the south and they attacked the 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 people near mount seir and el paran which is by the wilderness and they turned back and came in misfat and uh, they attacked all the country of the amalekites and also the amorites who dwelt in hezazan Tamar, boy, wow, that's that's just hard. That's hard to it's hard to it's hard to say all those names. Anyway, this is going to be a fun Bible study. They attacked to the south, and it says, and the king of Sodom, and the king of Moor, and the king of Abna, and the king of Zebulun, and the king of Bela, the five kings in the south, went out to join together in battle in the valley of Siddim against Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and all his vassal kings. And it says, now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there and remained fled in the mountains. So the four kings in the south lost. Now, why is that important? If you'll remember from last chapter, Abraham told Lot, you choose which way you want to go and take your, your people and your herds and your tents and you go that way and I'll go the other way because we've become so large and we've become too many of us and there's going to be, there's going to be conflict between us. And why don't we set it up so that we don't have any conflict? You choose. And if you'll remember, Lot chose, Lot just chose bad. And some of that was things maybe he could have figured out on his own. And some of it is just luck. He chose badly in, in going south. And the area where he went south to, that was a that was a area near Sodom and Gomorrah. So we already know, we don't have to discuss that in too much detail. We already know that was a problem. And then, and we'll deal with that issue down the road. We already know that's an issue. The second problem is that as you're looking at this passage and as you're reading it, the second problem is that the area that he's in is going to be the place of this major war. How do you know that? You don't know that. But Lot chose this area. And it says that to Lot and Abram's brother's son who dwelt in Sodom, it says, then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is verse 11. 
Notice the four kings in the north take all the goods of everybody in the which would be the people, which would be all their 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 livestock, which would be all their belongings. They plundered them. That's what they did. And and so when they took Sodom and Gomorrah and all the provisions went their way, they also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and they departed. Oh, Lot is being captured and taken north into Mesopotamia by these this giant army, this raiding party that's coming south that has destroyed the four kings that rule the area around Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, that's the that's the basis for what happens next. And what happens next is Abram proving himself to be a man of many skills and many talents, many a man who, who was able to handle the situation, a man of maturity, a man of depth, a man of strength. And the reason he is those things is because he's a man of faith. That's exactly right. He's learned to walk with God, and he's walked with God in, in his life. He has made a life for himself based off of trusting God, hearing God, believing God, acting upon what God has done, and that has given him depth of life. It's given him life experiences. It's given him insights and understandings. By the way, seeing things from the spiritual always gives you an understanding of how things really are in the world that we live in. Because remember, like I said yesterday, the spiritual is the primary thing. It's the first. Everything comes from the spiritual. And so seeing things from the spiritual perspective is far superior to trying to make sure understand things from the physical perspective. We want to understand things from the physical perspective because that's where we live. But understanding things from the spiritual gives you insights that the physical will never, ever give you. And it will allow you to understand the physical in a way that just studying the physical is so limited in. And so it says, the one who had escaped came and told Abraham and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth tree at Mamre the Amorite, brother of Iscal and brother of Asher, and they were allies with Abram. One of the people that was taken captive managed to escape because, by the way, they were taking all these prisoners just right by the area that Abraham was because he was actually in the northern area. He was in the area of Samaria, the area of Lebanon. He was in that area, and, and as they're passing by, one of them escapes, and the one of the ones that escaped comes, and he finds Abram, and he tells them, listen, this is what has happened. And it says, now when Abram had heard this, his that his brother was taken, notice, notice that his brother is going, that Lot, uh, his son's brother, is going to, his brother's son is going to again get the blessing of being kin to Abram. He is going to again receive a blessing for being his kin, but he is also going to have to be saved by Abram again. He says, it says, it says that when he, when Abram heard all this, that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants. I think it's interesting that God, God tells us that number. The number's not special in any way by itself, but it's very special in understanding that Abram had, first of all, a great large group of men that were under him that he could call on. He had enough wealth to arm them in such a way that they could go to battle with spears and swords. So that means that they were, uh, that he was a very wealthy man and that he had become a uh, very powerful, very influential, a man of depth, a man of understanding, a man of strength, a man of wealth, 
a man of importance in his area. To be able to arm 318 men is a feat that one individual rarely is able to do. He was able to arm, and they were trained, too, in war. So he had a small militia, a small army himself, that he had control over. Now, obviously, those men normally were probably shepherds and normally handled all kinds of other business and were builders, were, were creators, were makers. They were workers with their hands. But at this time, they were able to go to war. And uh, and Abram had that many men that he could take into battle. He said, it says he had armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, that is the northern, very northern tip of the area that is what we call Israel today. So he is still in his land of promise. Notice, Abram operates best and operates most when he operates in God's promises. And that's exactly where he's at. He's right in the middle of the promises of God. And uh, he is being and becoming and acting as the man that he ought to in the midst of those, prom those promises. It says, he divided his forces against them by night. Notice, he doesn't just go up there and attack them, do a frontal assault. He doesn't do a picket charge at Gettysburg and just go headlong into them. He has military strategy. He's been around. He came from Ur of the Chaldeans. He's lived in many places. He's lived in Egypt. He's seen how a war is fought. He's seen how battles, he has knowledge. He has insights. Now, is he a general? No. Is he a man who is familiar with fighting battles and being in war all the time? Doubtful. But does he have knowledge and understanding? Absolutely he does. And so he splits his army up so that they can do what is, what is well, very similar to what was done to the British Army when they, when they moved north to take the colonial weapons in, 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 in the early of the American Revolution and when they moved to take the weapons at Concord. And, and so when that happened, uh, what happened when they were headed back was a skirmishing action. And that action was they were getting attacked. The British were getting attacked on all sides by skirmishing soldiers who were moving down the line as they were trying to move back into their safe area, back to Boston. They were skirmishing and they were killing them all along the way. That's exactly what Abram does here. He splits his forces and they begin what is known as a skirmishing action. And they begin to attack in the weak spots, attack at the best times. And they cause this large army all kinds of issues. And in fact, they destroyed large portions of the army, catching them unaware. He divided his forces against them by night, and he, is in the, he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. And that is a good long way. That's, that's, that's close to 100 miles of skirmishing that went on all the way to the north of Damascus. And they were a leap force. They were a quick force. They were a fast force, and they were a powerful force. And they, they destroyed this army. And when they got through with just a few men destroying this army, they brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. Notice that at the end of the day, at the end of the story, with just a few soldiers, with just a few men trained, prepared, led by someone who was a man of faith, they did, they won a great victory. One of the one of the, they defeated an army that had just gone down and defeated four kings worth of men, probably in the order of 10, 20, 30 times the size of Abram's force. And then Abram goes out 
and totally annihilates this army, destroys them, and takes back all the goods that they've taken from the kings of the south. And that is a that is a neat story. First of all, it tells us that there's just reasons to go fight. There is just reasons for war. They, if I, during the Vietnam era, when I was uh, when I was uh, not even here yet, or I came along just at the very end of it, there was one of those saying, "Nothing is worth dying for." And the truth is, uh, during that era, a lot of people believed that there was no reason to go to war. Well, that's not true because if nothing's worth dying for, then the truth is nothing's worth living for. If life if life is going to have meaning and purpose, it's got to have meaning and purpose in relationships, in the things that are of the most value. And let me tell you something, your family, your country it is worth dying for. And uh, and Abraham was worth, Abraham believed that. And he acted upon that. And he went and saved his brother. He went to war to save his brother's son and their children. He went to war to save his family. and And that is a just cause for war. There are just reasons to go to war, and one of the just reasons to go to war is to protect your own people. People who is unwilling to protect themselves will not be a people for very long. And uh, and Abram was a man who was of the quality and nature that he could actually do this by himself on his own, and he did, which makes him a great man in history just by itself, a great leader. A great, a great man of influence and importance. It also proves that God takes care of his people. And this idea of just a few, uh, Gideon and other places in scripture and other places in history, even modern history, where just a few people who are under the power and under the influence of God have destroyed and defeated mighty armies, large armies, and have won great victories because God is on their side. And this is, another, this is the first example, biblically, of God taking just a few men and winning great victories because he's God. And uh, we can trust in God for that. He wins great victories for us, even though the, the numerical numbers seem like they're, 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 not, they're not equal, they're not even possible for you to even go to battle. And then God takes those few numbers and he defeats large armies. That's happened many times in history and many times especially in Jewish history, where it seemed like all was hopeless and God won great victories because uh, of the quality of the men and women involved, the quality of the faith and uh, the quality of his promises that they believed upon. And this is, although this is just a little blip on the radar as far as sometimes as we study the Bible, and especially when you start reading all these names. Remember, God gives us the name specifically to prove that he knows what he's talking about, because archaeology always ends up proving that the Bible is true and that the things that the Bible talks about actually happen. So he makes sure that he gives us specific names of specific people at specific places so that we'll know specifically that he's specifically involved in our lives, just like he was involved in their lives back then. And that's one of the things God's always doing. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name. Amen.